VPD's top six. We're going to take a professionally aggressive approach to targeting you. Local gangsters with targets on their backs and the promise from police to keep our community safe. One of the survivors of the Burnaby gangland hit has ties to the RCMP. How it's not the first time she's been targeted. And vaccine success. The vaccines we have are working to protect against everything that's circulating in BC right now. New developments mean your second dose could come sooner than you think. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Vancouver police say they're turning up the heat on gangsters, but they warn the ongoing violence across the region is expected to keep escalating. The VPD releasing the names and faces of six men they say are targets. As Catherine Urquhart reports, they say just being near them could put you at risk. Photos and names of six known gangsters are released by Vancouver police who are urging the public to stay away from the men. Police say they may be targeted in the coming days and fear for the safety of innocent bystanders. And there was this warning to gangsters. We're going to take a professionally aggressive approach to targeting you and we'll do everything in our legal authority and power to keep our community safe from you. VPD says they may seize vehicles and property linked to criminal activity. Task Force Threshold will also work to disrupt crimes before they happen, something police believe occurred last week when they pulled over a stolen vehicle. Two people were arrested, and one of the suspects in this of particular concern is a young offender. There was, as I said, gas canisters found inside, and one of the individuals had a loaded firearm on his person. The new initiative comes after 11 shootings in Metro Vancouver, many in busy public places. A former VPD gang squad member says similar police action in the past has been effective. Send these guys a message that if they do shootings out in the public like that and put the public at risk, they're going to pay the consequences, which is jail. Spencer also believes the courts need to be tougher on gangsters. They have to step up to the plate. And they have to start taking this serious that these guys running around, these little kids, misfits as they call them, aren't their stone killers. VPD's poster won't be the last. At least one other agency is expected to release more faces and names in the coming days. This as police step up efforts to tackle the gang problem, which shows no signs of slowing down. Police are expecting this violence to continue and to potentially escalate. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And new details are coming to light about one of the survivors of a dramatic public shooting at Burnaby's Market Crossing on Thursday evening. The woman who was shot and seriously injured has connections to the RCMP. As our Romina Dea reports, that's raising many questions about why she was targeted. After three days of digging, this is what we've uncovered. According to sources, the woman shot last week used to work as a crime analyst for the RCMP, a civilian position. Her father, currently a senior Mountie. More than 20 gunshots at sunset, 
fired in the Market Crossing parking lot in Burnaby last Thursday. Children and families screaming, ducking for cover on the nearby Cactus Club patio. 23-year-old Brothers Keepers gangster Jazkirt Kalkat shot dead, apparent retaliation for the YVR hit earlier this month. Kalkat's girlfriend was the former RCMP civilian member. She was shot and injured along with another man. IHIT believes all three were targeted. A source says the woman lost her job with the Mounties. Another source told us her father is an exemplary member of the RCMP, and he tried numerous times to help his daughter, but she refused. Sources say it was not the first time she was caught in the crossfire. She apparently had another gangster boyfriend who'd been shot. Sources say they hope this latest shooting is a wake-up call for her. I hit not responding to our questions Monday. Our last correspondence last Friday when Sergeant Frank Jang said he would not comment on the female's identity for safety reasons. Romina Dea, Global News. Well, Crime Stoppers is taking its message straight to the public thanks to new provincial funding in a bid to stop gang violence on the Lower Mainland. Metro Vancouver Crime Stoppers is getting $200,000 to revive its Guns and Gangs advertising campaign. The goal is to remind the public there is an anonymous way to send tips to police through Crime Stoppers. It's aimed at people who may know someone involved in a gang and who wants to do the right thing. The campaign getting support from the widow of Paul Bennett, who was shot in his own driveway back in 2018 in a case of mistaken identity. These shootings are happening so random, so out of control, without any regard for the safety of everyone around. We all need to be part of the solution. I am glad to hear the police all around the Lower Mainland are coordinating their efforts. I am also pleased to hear that Crime Stoppers will be bringing back its Guns and Gangs campaign. This is action, and I thank you for it. Crime Stoppers says its previous anti-gang advertising campaign led to the arrests of 145 people and the seizure of 219 guns. Now on to COVID, and let's take a look at the case counts in this province. We have 1,360 new cases since Friday. The good news is each day we saw fewer than 500 cases. That brings our total to 139,664, with just over 5,000 of those cases active. Hospital numbers are down with 350 patients, 132 of those people in the ICU also down. Sadly, we've had 14 more deaths. Well, the province is reassuring people who received a first dose of AstraZeneca, they will get a second dose, whether it is AstraZeneca or another vaccine. And when the province suspended first doses of the drug last week, it kept thousands of doses in reserve. And now, as Aaron MacArthur reports, people who got AstraZeneca already will soon face a choice. The rollout of the AstraZeneca vaccine has been a communications disaster. Approved for use in February, it was then paused because of the slight risk of blood clots. The vaccine was given the okay again for people over 40, but then labeled less preferential by the National Advisory Committee on Immunization. And now paused again in many provinces. Yet despite this inconsistency, more than 2 million Canadians have been inoculated with the viral vector vaccine. 
AstraZeneca has been sort of the, 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 the redheaded middle stepchild of vaccines over the course of several months. A recent poll conducted by the Angus Reid Institute shows more than 80% of people who received AstraZeneca have few, if any, regrets about the decision to take the first shot offered. The creators of the vaccine have been highly critical of Canada's strategy. Not only are the cases of VIT rare in first shots, they're almost non-existent in second doses. BC will have supply to give people a second shot of AstraZeneca, but health officials still appear to be leaning towards getting people a choice for their second shot. But we will have more information as well in the next few weeks to give everybody all of the information they need to make an informed choice about what you wish to receive for your second dose. The Prime Minister has indicated he has no qualms about getting a second AstraZeneca jab. Considering there are hundreds of thousands of additional doses in Canada right now, people on the AstraZeneca schedule might have more rapid access to their two-dose summer. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Bring in Keith Baldry now for more on the concerns around the variants. Keith, mm. the B1617, that's the variant seen in India, has been found here. So what are we hearing from health officials about the efficacy of our vaccines, whether the vaccines and the variants could have an impact on reopening plans? Yeah, so more than 300 cases of that particular variant of concern has now been established or classified as a variant of concern as of last week by the World Health Organization. It, before that, it was a variant of interest. Now it's been elevated to a variant of concern equal to the UK, South Africa, and the P1, of course. Uh, relatively small numbers in BC, but enough to be concerning because we're seeing evidence in the United Kingdom right now where there's been a serious surge in the, this particular variant that could threaten plans to re, uh, reopen the lockdown in the UK. British newspapers full of tales tomorrow about how many cases are surging there. A lesson to be learned here in BC from Dr. Bonnie Henry, who is concerned that this particular variant is so transmissible, it could potentially impact and infect people who have been vaccinated but not fully vaccinated. And the more people that are infected, the more times it reproduces, the more chances that it's going to, a new mutation is going to arise that might give it some competitive advantage. And we've seen that most recently in India, sadly. And that's where the worry is that a, a variant could arise, a strain could arise that's transmitted more easily. That's what happens first. But as more people are being immunized, we might see a strain that is uh, able to infect people who've been uh, partially protected or have been protected from vaccine. So 306 cases of this particular variant of concern as of last Friday. We'll be checking the numbers again uh, later this week. The number will undoubtedly grow. But right now, BC has been able to keep the variants of concern under control. The Wall Street Journal actually wrote a piece last week lauding BC for keeping the P1 variant under control after it exploded in numbers in Whistler. So a nervous eye being kept on this particular variant going, hey, considering what's going on in the UK, that's another place mm -hmm. to keep an eye on. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. And because of that, the push is on to get every British Columbian vaccinated as quick, quickly as possible. Fraser Health releasing 4,000 extra doses this week for residents in Surrey's COVID hotspots. As Amada Gahi reports, over four days this week, any Surrey resident over 18 can walk up. And if you're there early enough to get a wristband, you'll get the shot. 
a thousand doses, first come, first serve. I'm a hairdresser professionally, so I see a lot of people every day. It's good for my safety and my client's safety. For many, it took just a heads up, only hours in advance to drop everything for a COVID-19 vaccine. I did have one booked on Friday, but since they had the earlier option, I just did a walk-in today. Early Sunday morning, Fraser Health announced it would hold what it called pop-up neighborhood immunization clinics targeting people who live in Surrey, kicking off less than 24 hours later at Bear Creek Park. I was on the fence for quite a long time until I discussed it with my family members and some people that I work with. I found out they were getting it and they made me look at the issues again and I decided to come get it because of the ease of the pop-up clinic. The lineups far removed from the last time that health authority took this approach. It's not organized well. There should have been some sort of notice or a booking system maybe. This lineup is not good. Like I have to just stay here for five hours. Late last month, similar pop-up clinics saw long waits, confusion and this apology. I absolutely apologize to people for, for the miscommunications and for the confusion. Um, that was certainly not the intent. All of that now perhaps a distant memory. City of Surrey uh, involved uh, this time around with a partnership with Fraser Health and the province as well. Um, so we've doing a, some different strategies uh, than we did the last time and just trying to make sure that we've got uh, some good line management and some registration for, uh, for the folks out here in Surrey. And it seems like it's working really well so far. There are three more opportunities for people living in Surrey, Tuesday, Saturday and Sunday as the province tries to inch closer to cool off transmission in a community that for weeks now has carried a hotspot designation. Emadagahi, Global News. BC Ferries is reminding British Columbians the provincial ban on non-essential travel extends through the May long weekend. The Victoria Day weekend usually kicks off BC's busy summer travel season and increased demand on ferry routes. But this year, with non-essential travel restrictions in place through at least Tuesday, May 25th, BC Ferries is not adding more sailings. Major routes are being monitored and passengers not on essential trips will be denied boarding and could face a fine. That is a wrap for the Cullen Commission. It's ending after months of testimony about money laundering in B.C. and how it became a billion-dollar problem. Will there ever be accountability? That's next on the News Hour. I got a lot done while I was in public life. Kevin. Kevin Falcon says, let's go. In an exclusive interview, why he's jumping into the B.C. Liberal leadership race after a decade out of politics. That's coming up on the News Hour. And the snowbirds mark a tragic anniversary in Kamloops. Why the victim of that deadly crash last summer will never be forgotten. That's later. Vancouver's police chief is publicly apologizing to retired B.C. Supreme Court Judge Selwyn Romilly. Romilly, who's in his 80s and black, was handcuffed while walking on the seawall, mistaken for another suspect much younger. And as Grace Key reports, some still have questions about why it happened. I want to publicly apologize to Mr. Romley for his detention. 
I know this would have been an unsettling and even traumatic experience for anybody to go through. Vancouver Police Chief Adam Palmer is apologizing after 81-year-old retired Supreme Court Judge Selwyn Romilly was briefly handcuffed Friday morning near the seawall. He matched the description of a man half his age who was kicking and punching people. Four officers surrounded Romilly. And Mr. Romilly did absolutely nothing wrong and we're very sorry that that happened to him. But I can tell you that that police officer is acting in good faith and trying to do his job under very difficult circumstances. And we're, we're human and we make mistakes. I hate to say racial profiling, but I can't help but thank you for the 81-year-old white man, um, regardless of whether I fit the description or not. They wouldn't have put him in handcuffs for officer safety, as they call it. Former West Vancouver Police Chief Constable Cash Heat says officers must assess the situation when determining if handcuffs will be used. Do we have, uh, you know, a situation where the judge is acting out to us, the judge's uh, behavior is somewhat violent? Those are the steps you take when you restrain an individual uh, while you're trying to figure out what is going on. Thankfully, Justice Romilly actually took a very sensible and reasoned approach, uh, despite being embarrassed and humiliated. Um, but it could have gone sideways. And I think that's what really sticks with me the most is, was this the best approach from a de-escalation kind of standpoint? I think that our colonial past, uh, you know, has not gone away. Uh, there's unequal distribution of, of uh, justice across our society, whether it's in uh, the court systems or in City Hall. Uh, or in the VPD. The mayor plans to discuss this at the next police board meeting. Romilly will not be making a complaint, but believes officers need better training. The Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner is determining if further steps need to be taken. Grace Key, Global News. After more than 130 days of testimony from about 200 witnesses, the evidentiary portion of the Cullen Commission into money laundering is wrapping up. Justice Austin Cullen is expected to release his findings by December 15th. And as John Waugh reports, the central question is, could the government of the time have done more to stop the flow of dirty cash through B.C. casinos? Mr. Cullen, please hold a Bible in your hand. It was a marathon of testimony to get to the truth. Who's responsible for letting criminals turn British Columbia into a laundromat? that cleaned the bloodstains off their drug cash. Did you know that patrons were regularly buying in for six figures predominantly in $20 bills? No. The Cullen Commission searching for answers at the very top. Former Premier Christy Clark testified she was aware that suspicious cash in casinos was a concern, but didn't seem to know whether those shady bundles were helping balance her yearly budgets. Did you make that inquiry? I didn't. At a time when buy-ins like this were a regular occurrence and the threat of money laundering was being reported by the media. Did he tell you that there were hundreds of thousands of dollars in suspicious cash transactions occurring in B.C. casinos? Not that I recall. People within government in charge of protecting gaming in this province either stated they couldn't remember how much they knew. Did he raise to your attention um, his belief that the cash might be the proceeds of crime? Not that I recall or testified they didn't see it as their job to step in and stop the flow of suspicious funds. Ministers should be careful about interfering in the operational side uh, of gaming. Then there was former Minister Rich Coleman, responsible for gaming on and off for a total of eight years, who testified he was briefed on police investigations that tied gangs to attempted money laundering in casinos. I was advising those investigations in very high confidence. 
be held in confidence, and I was not in a position to talk about them publicly in any way. That didn't stop him from speaking out against the head of the RCMP Proceeds of Crime Unit in 2011, when Barry Baxter publicly raised similar concerns. He did not agree with what I had said, and further that he had uh, spoken to my superiors, and they agreed with him. While Coleman told the commission his ministry was taking action against casino money laundering, counsel pointed out those comments gave the public a very different impression at the time. Yeah, I probably went a little too far out with that answer. If you're emphasizing this, wouldn't the answer be what Inspector Baxter has said is very, very serious and it will be taken seriously? Coleman, like many others, pointed out hindsight is 2020. What is crystal clear, everyone knew there was a possibility the money was the proceeds of crime. I would have liked to have seen council press harder, much harder on some of those answers. But instead of erring on the side of caution, the call was to keep taking the cash until someone else, some other agency, could provide that undeniable legal proof. The people uh, responsible uh, and in a position of authority are still doing the Mr. Nobody routine. One takeaway from the testimony, criminals saw a weakness in this province and exploited the opportunity to clean the proceeds of crime for years. Now it's up to Commissioner Austin Cullen to look through the volumes of transcripts and evidence and answer the public's need for accountability. John Hua, Global News. Up ahead, a showdown near Ferry Creek. We're quite concerned about the safety of many of the people on the front lines. What RCMP just did to keep protesters away and allow logging to proceed. And our exclusive interview with Kevin Falcon as he jumps right back into provincial politics. Former Finance Minister Kevin Falcon is running for the B.C. Liberal leadership, instantly becoming the most high-profile candidate to throw his hat in the ring. Falcon will officially announce his bid in the next hour, and Richard Zussman has this exclusive look at what to expect from the man who wants to be Premier. This is the Kevin Falcon you remember. Budget 2012. And this is the one Kevin Falcon now wants to introduce you to. I think the difference today is I'm a father. I've got two young girls who I love very much. They're the most important thing in the world to me. And my perspective has changed. My values haven't. After months of speculation and a decade away from public life, Falcon is looking to make a political comeback, hoping to be the next leader of the B.C. Liberal Party. I got a lot done while I was in public life, in every ministry I was involved with. There's a reason why there's a Portman Bridge, a Pitt River Bridge, a Sea to Sky Highway, a South Fraser Perimeter Road. The now 58-year-old served as Deputy Premier, Finance Minister, Health Minister and Transportation Minister and was the front-runner in the 2011 Liberal leadership before losing on the final ballot to Christy Clark. Falcon left politics in 2012, entering the private sector. The question many will ask is how is this the face of renewal? Did we get everything right? We did not. No government ever does. But I think what's important is you have the humility of acknowledging when you don't do things well and you try and do better. The modern day BC Liberals are as low as they've ever been. Andrew Wilkinson led the party to 29 seats in the last election and nearly totally wiped out in Metro Vancouver. I've got deep roots in the Lower Mainland. I think having a leader from the Lower Mainland is actually going to be really important uh, this next go-around. And I know the communities, especially Surrey, which is a major battleground area. And with the front-runner tag firmly on him, 
Falcon will be the target of both his opponents within the party and the BC NDP. When people are really talking about you a lot, uh, it's, it's usually because they're a little afraid. All right, Richard Zussman is live in Victoria right now with more on who else is throwing their hat into the ring and if they are, in fact, afraid, Richard. <laughs> yeah, so Chris, if Kevin Falcon is going to walk back in this building as the B.C. Liberal leader, it's going to take some work to get through some of those other individuals who also want the job. So let's have a look at those who have declared today. Michael Lee, the MLA from Vancouver, Langara, uh, he is now in the race. He finished third in the last leadership race behind Andrew Wilkinson and Diane Watts. Also getting into the race already, MLA Ellis Ron as well as businessman Gavin Dew. And there are a few others who are considering a race. Some of those include MLA's Renee Merrifield, as well as Tom Shapitka, and Val Litwin, the former head of the B.C. Chamber of Commerce, also considering entering the B.C. Liberal race. Well, you mentioned being afraid. The B.C. NDP have already tweeted about Kevin Falcon. They're obviously paying very close attention to him entering the race. What they've pointed out is when Falcon was in government. There were tolls on the Portman Bridge, as well as ICBC and MSP going up. So clearly, they're very interested mm -hmm. in this candidate jumping in the race, Chris. All right. Could get interesting. Thanks very much, Richard. A 10-month-long anti-logging protest on Vancouver Island is set to come to a head. RCMP have set up a checkpoint near the Ferry Creek watershed and given notice that arrests will happen if a court injunction is not followed. But as Kylie Stanton reports, the protesters aren't giving up. Instead, they're calling for reinforcements. Just move on, man. Let's go. No, you move up. For nearly 10 months, tensions have been on the rise. Protesters trying to protect old growth forests, loggers trying to cut them down. Move on, And now it's coming to a head. We're quite concerned about the safety of many of the people on the front lines. And so, you know, we're very, feeling very emotional at this moment. The BC RCMP is now enforcing an injunction granted to Teal Cedar Products on April 1st of this year. It's established a temporary access control area in the Ferry Creek watershed, blocking the road leading to the KQ's camp, allowing loggers through to start work while providing protesters 24 hours notice to vacate the area or arrests will be made. Some of our members are quite willing to be arrested for what they believe in and, and, and they wish to stand for the trees. Other people are, are not quite so willing to be arrested but still willing to play a role. In a statement, the RCMP said a designated space has been created for protesters outside the restricted access area, saying this space will be suitably located to allow for peaceful, lawful and safe protest and be visible to employees of Teal Cedar Products, their contractors, the police, and media. To rally support, the protester group Rainforest Flying Squad is getting the word out on its social media channels, posting, we need people showing up at camp today. Drop what you're doing, drop your job, drop your classes, gather your friends, and come out to Ferry Creek. We know that the moment we leave those trees unprotected, they will be gone. Protesters estimate at this rate, there's only five to seven years left before all the old growth is logged. They say as long as the trees are still standing, there's something to stand up for. Preparations are all in place, so we're, we're ready. Kylie Stanton, Global News.
Well, after the weekend we just had, it's hard to imagine parts of the province potentially getting snow overnight, but that's what we're getting. Meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with a look at where that's a possibility, Christy. What a difference a day makes. Yeah, 30 degree weather in the interior yesterday and now snowfall. Here's a look. Coquihalla expecting it overnight tonight and through the day tomorrow and the Hope Princeton. So the freezing level tonight is going to drop to 900 meters. That means those areas could see 5 to 10 centimeters of snow. I urge everyone listening to tell your friends and family because it would be a shock to the system if you weren't aware of this prior uh, after that 30 degree weather yesterday. This is rare for this time of year, but it does happen. This It is spring after all and we get transitions when i come back chris we'll be talking about the sunshine though that's in store for us once again next weekend mm -hmm. all right all the more reason to stay close to home it sounds like christy mm -hmm. we'll check in later thank you coming up bc's disappearing steelhead we're getting very close to, to being functionally extinct who's to blame for the decline of a once abundant fish in bc waterways and is COVID killing your credit rating? Tips to improve your score from Consumer Matters coming up. Join Global BC as we gene up this May to support BC Children's Hospital Foundation. Grab those genes, post that pic, and donate at geneup.ca. And let's help BC kids get out of their hospital gowns and back into their genes. Lanes north and one south over here at the Lions Gate Bridge, with just some minor delays out of the North Shore on the Cloverleaf to head south. Employee pricing is on at Chevrolet. Get our best offer now on the all-electric 2021 Bolt EVLT. Offer ends May 31st. Visit ChevroletOffers.ca. I'm Trish Julison in the Global Traffic Center. Well, many British Columbians have lost jobs or had their work hours cut during the COVID-19 pandemic. And sometimes paying the bills gets to be a real challenge. Our consumer reporter, Andrea, is here with some tips on how to avoid bad credit. And Thanks, Sophie. Paying your bills on time is critical to maintaining good credit. Your credit rating is an estimate of your ability for, to fulfill your financial obligations based on previous dealings. If you are facing challenges, Equifax Canada, which provides credit reports for businesses, well, they have some advice. Here it is. How can you avoid bad credit when you can't pay the bills? Contact your lender, explain the situation, and ask for help. Many have deferral programs or other options for special payment arrangements, including changing deadlines or altering amounts due. Will deferring mortgage payments impact your credit? No, deferring debt payments should not affect credit scores. As for how long you can defer before risking a bad credit score, all deferred payments, if approved by your bank or financial institution, should have little to no impact on credit ratings. And there's no maximum period of time that an account can be deferred as long as it's an arrangement made with your lender. Credit scores are not moral judgments. If you're having a difficult time and your credit score is affected, you're certainly not alone. There's no shame in asking for help, especially during the pandemic. You don't want negative data being reported to the credit bureau and landing on your credit file. So if you can avoid a late payment by making a special arrangement with your lender, then that's always a better option. 
And experts say you should also consider adding a consumer statement to your credit report. That's when you include freeform text describing your situation. For example, maybe you were laid off during the pandemic and are unable to pay your bills, but are planning to catch up on payments as soon as you are employed again. Any lender who has access to your credit file will then be able to see it. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks for that, Ann. In health matters tonight, like many things during the pandemic, regular childhood vaccinations have been put on hold during the pandemic. But that is about to change. Fraser Health says chickenpox and HPV immunization programs have resumed now for grades 7 and 10 who missed their shots in the 2019-2020 school year. Appointments are being booked at local health units this spring and summer. Information about vaccinations and boosters for kindergarten and grades 6 and 9 will come at a later date. Coming up, remembering a fallen member of Canada's Snowbirds. It's as if it happened yesterday. The plans to honour Captain Jennifer Casey lost in last summer's tragic crash. And a forgotten golf course gets a new lease on life. The team that truly believes Sagebrush can be saved. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. The federal government is being accused of risking the extinction of B.C. steelhead runs by not listening to the advice of its own scientists. That's the claim of the B.C. Wildlife Federation. It has obtained DFO documents which raise some serious questions about how the resource is being managed. Linda Aylesworth reports. They start out life not unlike salmon hatching from eggs, then living as alevin attached to their yolk sacs. But once mature, what sets steelhead trout apart becomes evident. What's really neat about steelhead is that salmon, when they come back, they die. And steelhead actually have the ability to go back out to the ocean and then return again. But fewer than ever are returning to complete the cycle. Last year, only 180 spawned in the Thompson, 81 in the Chilcotin. We, over the last four to five years have consistently been setting new records every year for the population, but they're records that are going in the wrong direction. That direction is towards extinction. So the BC Wildlife Federation requested to see federal documents under access to information and privacy, or ATIP. When that didn't go anywhere... I had to file a complaint with the OIPC, who issued an, uh, an investigator and an investigation ensued, and that's what resulted in us getting these documents back a year and a half later. What they found in the 2,800 pages of documents were changes made to what scientists recommended by managers at the Department of Fisheries and Oceans. What we can tell in this ATIP is that the documents were edited by the Assistant Deputy Minister's office. For example, instead of saying that nets set to catch salmon but which also kill 20% of returning spawning steelhead should not be used. That was changed to say we shouldn't have allowable harm that exceeds the current threshold. In other words, maintain the status quo. When word of such changes got out, both independent and government scientists were dismayed. The chair of the DFO process putting, you know, raising huge alarm bells saying, you know, basically the approach that the the government has taken has the, the ability to undermine the scientific integrity of the process. What's at stake here is the loss of a species, not because of a lack of solutions, but due to mismanagement. Linda Aylesworth, Global News.
And late this afternoon, the Department of Fisheries and Oceans had this to say. Steelhead trout are in decline, and the government of Canada is taking strong, consistent action to reverse this. This includes multiple measures to reduce steelhead bycatch in salmon fisheries and has proposed further measures for the 2021 season. Worthy of a follow-up for sure. Okay, let's check in once again with uh, Christy. We heard about the snow in the forecast for some regions a little earlier. That's right. So it's a strong cold front that's moving not only here across our region, but into the interior as well. So for our region, we're expecting rain heavy at times. I'm certainly seeing it here. We even have a risk of thunderstorms and we likely will see that into tomorrow. Here's a look at the big drastic change in temperature we're going to see because of this cold front from today, 20 degrees in the central Okanagan to 14 degrees, not only tomorrow, but Wednesday also. But thankfully, we do climb out of it as we head into the weekend. But yes, that cool and settled air mass expected to bring in pockets of rain at times. We'll see dry patches tomorrow. It won't be as consistent as what I'm seeing right now, but certainly unsettled tomorrow with cloud and periods of rain and windy conditions. And for the south coast area, we're going to be a good five to six degrees below seasonal for this time of year. Highs of only 14 degrees for Metro Vancouver. Normal is 18, so four degrees below seasonal for our region and staying unsettled on Wednesday also. So keep your eye on the sky. We have the risk of thunderstorms not only tonight, but tomorrow also. But sunshine on the way for Friday and into the weekend, thankfully. Here's your center windows weather window for tonight from Kamloops. Beautiful shot on Sunday. Uh, thank you to Barry for that beautiful shot. And thank you, Christy. I know that he was just in this Whoa. studio looking for his lost pen, which I didn't steal, Squire, but you did make it to the other studio in time. But you found it for me. You protected it. I appreciate it. And then I was expecting he'd be running and out of breath. No, no. He I made it. No, actually, I... Christy was, gave me just enough time to get downstairs. Okay, so after not operating for seven years, Sagebrush Golf Course near Merritt is ready for a comeback. So I, I've, I've seen the, the highest end of this place, I've seen the lowest end of this place. So what does it take to bring an entire golf course back to life and hopefully keep it operating? We'll find out also tonight the plan for a new memorial to a fallen member of the Snowbirds team. Squires here again and uh, back to the topsy-turvy world where winning is losing and losing is winning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and this is going to be an interesting week for the Canucks because mm -hmm. by the end of the week, who knows who will still be working for them. Whatever the case, that four-goal rally last night against Calgary, which got Vancouver one point in an overtime loss, was fun for the Canuck players, but not so great for the draft lottery. Canucks now have the sixth worst, re worst record in the NHL, really seventh because Seattle at the end of this is going to be considered as a team with the third worst record for lottery purposes. That gives the Canucks right now a 6.5% chance to win the lottery. Uh, if they win their final two games against Calgary, they would drop even further, and their chances of getting the first pick overall would be 3.5%. The lottery also draws for second pick overall. All right, two of those guys scored two goals each in Game 7 against the Canucks 10 years ago. Bergeron and Marchand. Whoops! It's hard to stay on your Curtis Asar, good BC boy, pushed in the bench by Tom Wilson. 
If that was the Royal Rumble, he'd be out over the top rope. Ah, there's Bergeron. Bergeron scoring again. For some reason, my mouth doesn't want to work today. That made it 2-1. to one. Garnet Hathaway, this puck goes off his skate, beats Tuka Rask. All the goals in the first period early in the third, it's now 2-2. Two, two. In 2014, Sagebrush Golf Club around Merritt was ranked the 10th best course in Canada. But shortly after that, money trouble forced the course to close down, and it basically became a ghost until new investors brought it back to life with around a $4 million injection of cash. And it's beginning to look like its old self again with the hopes it will be open by this summer. Just outside of Merritt, perched above Nicola Lake, Sagebrush has sat dormant for almost a decade. Not a single birdie, par or bogey carded by golfers. The former top 10 ranked course in Canada closed since 2014 due to financial difficulties, but new ownership is reviving Sagebrush and preparing for a July opening. I'll say a reclamation project. Uh, we're obviously going to kind of provide our own spin, uh, you know, modern elements to it. It has, uh, you know, the marketplace is a little different, 10 years removed from its, uh, from its origins, or 12 years, I should say. So, uh, you know, everything's a little bit different, but uh, there, there's definitely a lot of the original... Uh, vision out here that, that we want to take advantage of. Sagebrush was way ahead of its time when it opened up as the first minimalist golf course in Canada, but its boutique style of golf where there's never more than 40 to 60 golfers leisurely playing their way around the links never fully caught on. However, golf's never been more popular than it is right now, and Sagebrush feels the timing for its renaissance couldn't be better. The operation here is a very unique one in that um, it can be run in a, in a more of a minimalist overhead way as well, not just minimalist on the golf course design, but um, you know, we don't need 100 staff members running the operation. So the whole course can be set up in a, in a bit of a different style and you can still have a profitable um, operation, um, you know, e- even with doing kind of low volume. You know, it's not a country club look per se, where it's it's entirely green everywhere. We we uh, we embrace the uh, the dried out look and stuff like that, um, as long as the playability is out there. So nobody wants to see Sagebrush succeed more than Neil Pilon. The course superintendent knows every square inch of Sagebrush. He's manicured it since day one. Well, it's exciting. Um, we've we've gone uh, full full circle from from start to finish, where we were one of the top end golf courses to to the point where we were one of the top fields. Um, so now we're back to the point where we want to make a, a, a top-end golf course again. Certainly it's not going to be an overnight thing, but, uh, you know, we, we see the light at the end of the tunnel. Jay Janower, Global Sports. The cleaning crew is here already, very early tonight. Um, trainer Bob Baffert and all the horses he trains are not welcome at any New York State racetrack until further notice. They will await the appeal of his horse Medina Spirit's positive steroid test after winning the Kentucky Derby before deciding how long Baffert's suspension will last. He did work a deal to get Medina Spirit in last Saturday's Preakness, agreeing to pre-race drug tests, which Medina Spirit passed, but then finished third in the Preakness Stakes, and now uh, with the ban would not be able to run in the Belmont Stakes on June 5th if Baffert is still his trainer. They can start after seven. Yeah, I think clean up in here after seven. Yeah, they they may get a memo about that. (laughs) All right, thanks, Square. Up next, a permanent place to remember a fallen snowbird. Stay with us. Hard to believe, but it's been one year since a tragic plane crash in Kamloops claimed the life of Captain Jennifer Casey, 
a public affairs officer with the Canadian Forces Snowbirds. Well, today the city of Kamloops marked the somber anniversary by unveiling plans for a permanent memorial. In two years' time, the city of Kamloops will have a permanent memorial to remember the life of Captain Jennifer Casey, the charismatic snowbird member who sought to lift the spirits of Canadians with Operation Inspiration. The city of Kamloops announced the memorial will be constructed as part of Fulton Field Park in 2023. The final design still needs approval, but will include storyboards explaining the history of Kamloops' relationship with the military and the snowbirds. Joining the city in the announcement was Captain Casey's partner and fellow snowbird, Captain Scott Boyd. It was an emotional return as one year ago, Boyd was on the ground waiting to take off when the plane went down. As much as I don't want to remember large parts of it, it's still, it's as if it happened yesterday. Boyd says seeing the tributes outside the airport in the days after the incident was impactful. He says the community's support of the snowbirds was reflective of Operation Inspiration and ultimately Captain Casey's spirit. She kind of embodies what I think a Canadian is. She was a kind person. She was genuine. She loved hockey and dogs and, um, and her community. So I think that really just kind of, you know, summed up who she was as a person. And it, yeah, it was just amazing. Boyd was joined at City Hall by two of Casey's friends, Morgan Muse and Dan McDonald. The people who knew her in childhood and university say they were glad to share some of the personality that made up Captain Casey, or as they knew her, Jen. Everything you guys hear is, is true, and you know, she was always smiling. Um, she loved this country very much, and she was always proud of, of where she came from. And uh, we're always, uh, you know, very grateful that we uh, we got to have some part in uh, in her life. Be pleased to visit that someday. All right, final word on the weather from Christy. Well, periods of rain heavy at times overnight. We even have a risk of thunderstorms. It becomes spottier tomorrow, but still, keep your ear out. When the thunder roars, head indoors. I can hear it behind you, I think, Christy. Is it raining in your neighborhood? <laughs> all right. All right, Very have a good hard. night, everybody. Good night, all. <laughs>